are listening to Navigating Law School Admissions with Miriam and Christy. The Resume Nerd Fest, featuring the inimitable career expert Van Ann Bowie. In our first resume discussion, we covered the purpose of a law school application resume, along with some formatting basics. In the second portion, we will discuss the main substantive sections of a resume, along with some career advice. All right, as everyone probably knows, there are two main substantive sections of a resume, education and experience. At the law school application stage and for people relatively early in their careers, they are generally presented in that order with education coming first. Once you get a little bit more senior in your career and you have lots of years of professional experience, you can think about flipping them, but most of you are probably not there yet. Within each section, the individual degrees and jobs should be presented in reverse chronological order so that the most recent items are first. And just a word of wisdom that I heard from a very wise professor at NYU and that has really stuck with me since. Make sure that you are not breaking up your resume into too many sections. For example, volunteer experience, paid experience, internships. One of the key functions of a resume is to allow the reader to quickly recreate the timeline of your professional and educational experiences. Once you start to break things down into a lot of sections, it becomes really hard to follow and frustrating to figure out what you were doing when. Within the education section itself, you should include every degree you've earned, including those that are in progress. The information generally included is the name of the educational institution, the location, the name of the degree, like BA or BS or MA, and then the degree date, typically in a month-year fashion. If your degree has not yet been completed, you can put expected before the degree date, or in my opinion, I think you can just put the degree date and we will understand that it's in progress. Some other items you might want to also include are your major, possibly any minors, as well as graduation honors. So, for example, you might include something like BA magna cum laude in political science with French minor, June 2019. All of this would go immediately below the name of the institution. So that's the basics, but what other information might you want to include in the education section? Okay, so obviously that's an awesome question, and you can pack a ton of information into this section in a relatively small amount of space. So under each degree, you can consider including some or none of the following things. Honors, activities, study abroad, and thesis. The list of honors really does not need to be comprehensive and should primarily include those that were based on a selective process. I think it's helpful to include a very basic description of the honor if it's not obvious from the name. For example, Jobson Award for the Best Thesis in Political Science. <laughs> You're yes, welcome, the prestigious Christy. Jobson Award. <laughs> a very prestigious Jobson Award. Often you can choose whether to include an experience as an activity in the education section or describe it in more detail in the experience section. This may depend on what exactly you're applying for. If you're applying for law school and are expressing interest in human rights, perhaps the research you did for a professor working on human rights issues should be in the experience section with a brief description. But if you are applying for a summer job at a law firm, you might choose to move it to the activity section. For study abroad and thesis listings, keep it pretty simple. These should just be very brief listings of study abroad opportunities and the title of your thesis if you completed one, um, particularly if it's relevant to your law school application. Okay. So what are both of your thoughts on including GPA and or test scores on the resume? I have very strong feelings about this, so I'm curious as to what both of you think. 
For law school applications, I would say it's wholly unnecessary, to be honest, um, because we just we get that information in multiple other places, the app form, the cast report. It just doesn't seem necessary at all and kind of clutters the resume for the reader and sometimes can seem a little braggy. Yeah, you know, for the job search, we advise our students not to include their LSAT or any other test score. I just don't think it's really quite relevant um, anymore at that point. GPA um, is or can be a different story. If your GPA is particularly strong, you might want to include it. Although if you graduated summa cum laude, for example, it may be somewhat redundant. Um, it's definitely not required. So you don't have to feel like you have to include it um, if you don't think it, you know, it'll be particularly impressive. Um, and also uh, the other thing to note is that the further out, out of school you are, your GPA will be seen as less important by future employers, as well as other kinds of school activities that you participate in, uh, and more emphasis will be placed on your professional experiences as well. That's just true in general, right? The, the further you get from college, the more like study abroad and the title of your right. thesis just falls away. If you take only two words from this podcast episode, take recency and relevancy. And maybe a phrase, know your audience. That, Ooh, that and sums on that note, all. on that note, I'm just going to throw this up there. What about high school information on your resume? Oh, my God. Just know. Just no, 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 no. Um, and, and that like reminds me of a separate thought that you should really be thinking strategically about the amount of space you dedicate to each degree. Zero space to your high school degree. That's a baseline for pretty much everyone. And, and then no SAT scores. No, no SAT, SAT scores. scores. Uh -uh. Oh, it's so embarrassing when people put SAT scores on their resume. Really and truly embarrassing. Um, and also when they put like GMAT scores, I, it's law school. I, if I wanted a GMAT score, I would make you take the GMAT. I, it just looks so weird and, again, comes across as kind of braggy or very or insecure. poor judgment. Like insecure. You're, you're not sure. Also, you have to have this. Yeah, I'm also questioning, do you really want to go to law school? Why are you taking the GMAT? Just very bizarre. Okay, sorry, that was a total segue, but it made me think of it. So, again, just recency and relevancy. So if a degree was 20 years ago and completely irrelevant, very little space should be dedicated to it. All right. Let's turn to the other primary section of any resume, the experience section. So obviously, this is where you describe your experiences in reverse chronological order. Um, remember, please, that experiences are not limited to paid full-time work. For example, volunteer experiences, significant work for student organizations, part-time jobs, all of those can be included in the experience section if they meet those recency and relevancy keystones. Generally, the information you would include is the name of the employer or organization, the location, your title, and the dates, followed by a brief description. All right, Christy, let's talk a little bit more about that description. So first, keep the description snappy. If they get too long, key information gets buried. You could use paragraph sentence format or bullet points. Either works, as long as it's consistent throughout. Um, either way, be thoughtful about your use of space. More space for a particular experience indicates that you think something is more important, and that should generally correlate with the two keywords, recency and relevancy. Also, try and begin each sentence of the description with an action verb and use details and examples as much as possible. So, for example, manage some summer internship program, including hiring 10 to 12 interns annually and developing new training program with significant DEI focus. One other point on descriptions is to avoid jargon and technical terms that, that most readers 
may not understand. These may be useful if applying for industry-specific jobs, but always keep your audience in mind. For legal jobs, and similarly for law school applicants, skills like research, writing, and analysis, as well as organization skills, leadership skills, taking initiative, and creativity are all key. And remember to take your resume to the next level. Um, think about how you can measure your accomplishments, not just reiterate your responsibilities. So a few questions you might ask yourself in doing this. How many people did you manage or support? Did you make or save the organization any money or time um, in your role? And if so, how much? And how does that compare to prior years? Um, I suggest working with your past or current employers to see if you can gather this type of information and what you can disclose. You might not be able to disclose or find out all of this information, but adjusting even a few areas to highlight some of these accomplishments can really make your experiences stand out. Okay, quick question. When, if ever, should a future experience be included on a resume? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, First, you should only include a future experience if you are absolutely sure it is going to happen. And if it's one that is relevant, again, relevant, uh, relevant to the uh, uh, position you are applying for. In that case, you can include it with the relevant dates and make sure you use the future tense to give a very brief description of your planned responsibilities. Just on the use of tenses... Please make sure that you use current tense for your current job and past tense for your past job, obviously future for future. I find sometimes people will forget to update those tenses. And so they're, they, they'll have a past job that at the time when they wrote the resume was in the present. And again, that's, that's sloppy. Just make sure that the tenses are correct on your resume. I think that's another important thing that can sometimes get overlooked. Okay. Another question, which I get asked a lot. So how should applicants handle a very common situation, which is when they've had a series of part-time jobs, sometimes during college, sometimes after, which often are just to make money, and they can really take up a ton of space if they're listed individually? So I actually think it's important to not leave those off the resume for two reasons. First, sometimes if you leave it off, it can create a gap, which can leave a question in the reviewer's mind of what happened during this particular time period. And even if there's not a gap, it's important for us to know that you were working through college or afterward in these jobs because you learn really key skills from the experiences. And they're also just important context for your application as a whole. So I totally agree with Christy. I think it's important to include those. Um, sometimes people view them as not prestigious. Oh, I just worked retail. There's no such thing as just working retail. That's a very hard job where you do learn important things. So please don't undersell yourself and your experiences. So you can either list these out just like any other job, but just keep the descriptions brief. Or sometimes people will choose to cluster them in a single entry with language like held various positions in the retail and food service industries while in college in order to earn money towards tuition. And then you can have dates that are pretty broad and encompass all of the experiences. If it was part-time, you probably want to indicate that or give some sort of hour range to give the necessary context. And, and don't hold back from including significant caregiver responsibilities for family members um, or other loved ones. Yes, that's I was often that's unpaid and might feel kind of unofficial to some applicants, but their inclusion might help the reader better understand the applicant's trajectory and skill set. And then again, fill in a lot of those gaps. The last piece here is um, also don't discount the um, relevant and transferable skills that many of those experiences Absolutely. also have. 
uh, in, in terms of um, the legal profession as well. So thinking about skills like communication skills, client service skills, that's a huge one, uh, organization skills, attention to detail, all of those skills are things that you're also developing in those kinds of roles that are absolutely critical to a career in law as well. So definitely use that as an opportunity to highlight um, those kinds of things as well. Can I just offer one thing? Yeah, Okay, please. so there was this, there, I'm forgetting which firm, and I, I'm not even sure if it's public, but there was a firm that did essentially a Moneyball study of their strongest associates in their fifth year, right? So people who've been at the firm for I've a little while. I've heard of this. I was, yeah. Gonna, yeah. And they, um, they looked at kind of all the, everything from that candidate's resume when they originally applied to the firm to try to figure out, okay, what correlates with someone being really excellent. And it's not grades and it's not being on law review or anything like that. Um, it was two things, clinical experience during law school and then experience in the service industry. So it was like working at the gap, folding clothes, thinking on your feet doing client-centered work. Everyone very who's worked with employers sense. knows that many yeah. employers do look for those experiences. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And so do law school admissions professionals. We do indeed. So keep them on. Absolutely. Let's turn to the various optional sections that applicants sometimes choose to include on their resumes. Among the most common are publications, languages, interests, and skills. First, I'll start by saying that less can really be more here. There's no need to include any of these optional sections, and you should be thoughtful about including any of them. If you do decide to include them, think about whether you want to cluster some of these together. For example, languages could fall under skills, or frankly, all of these types of things might fall under a heading like personal, and that can help you avoid creating too many sections like we described earlier. Van Ann, uh, would you take a moment to touch upon when an applicant might want to include information about languages or various other skills? Sure. Uh, so for language skills, of course, these should be included if they're relevant to the specific job you're applying for. Uh, for law school applicants, uh, that could be the case if you're expressing interest in a field of law where a specific language is particularly useful. So for example, Spanish, if you're interested in representing certain communities as an immigration lawyer, uh, you may want to delineate written versus reading versus uh, spoken proficiency and Remember, never, never, never exaggerate your fluency. I've definitely heard about interviewers breaking into a foreign language in an interview when an applicant has stated that they are fluent in a language. So you want to be able to have that conversation if you have to. This has happened to my husband and he's had credit swap conversations in Spanish. I was going to say he's actually fully fluent in Spanish. <laughs> so thank God it worked out for, for Brian. Yes, but like talking at home with your family is totally different than like discussing the market. And so Chrissy, <laughs> let me ask you this. Do you want every law school applicant to list every language? No, please. No, I've seen people say like conversational or tour. I see ta saw um, tourist proficiency once. What? And I was like, so that's just what you know how to say how to go to the bathroom. Like, oh, gosh. no. I would say kind of um, proficiency and above um, or, or working towards proficiency and above. I think intermediate is kind of in a gray zone there. Yeah. If it's the only language there, I if you're if you're listing language colon um, like Telugu intermediate, I probably wouldn't include it. But if it's one of multiple languages, I might err on the side of it. It kind of depends. It's an art. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. I th and again, I think like recent like relevance really matters. So if you're really interested in international human rights and you want to work at the UN, it's helpful to highlight you speak a, one of the languages other than English that is, you know, a UN language, um, because that will make you, you know, much make it much easier for you to get a job there. That kind of thing. 
Yeah. Okay. And what about skills? Job, yeah. Go ahead, Vanessa. Oh, so, yeah. Uh, from from a job perspective, I would say think about it from the point of view of an employer and and what they might use a person who speaks that language for. So, um, you know, typically communicating with clients, uh, translating documents, things like that. So, if you feel comfortable doing those kinds of things, then those that then that's a sign to you that maybe you should consider including it. If you don't feel comfortable doing that, then you might consider not including that language on your resume. Okay, what about skills? So with respect to skills, I would be really thoughtful about what is useful to include. Um, so similar to languages, if it, you know, if it's a common skill, uh, Zoom, Microsoft Word, Excel, or one that is unrelated to the position you're applying for, just don't bother to include it. I feel like skills is where judgment goes to die on the resume, sort of like agenda <laughs> on the application. I mean, it, it's just embarrassing when someone includes Zoom as a skill. Like, I assume you can use Zoom. If you can't use Zoom, it's a problem. I mean, I say that, but I frequently mess up on Zoom and forget how to unmute myself. So maybe maybe I definitely shouldn't put Zoom on my own resume. But there's certain things that are just baseline in, in our modern world. Um, so just, just don't do it. It has to be something really important, sort of outside the norm of the skills that, you know, functioning adults in, you know, 21st century America. Half. Yeah, Gmail is not it. No, not <laughs> Gmail either. Oh gosh. And same as it, I've seen people list like so their social media, like, oh, skills, and then like TikTok and Instagram. No, and I'm like, bad judgment. I don't know. Bad I, I don't know, judgment. kid. Maybe for marketing, like this is the audience right. question, right? right? Maybe if you're in the marketing sector, but I think you'd even there want to build it out a little bit more. Um, I don't know. And Miriam, when <laughs> just a transition on a similar note, when might applicants want to include publications or presentations on their resume? So uh, if the publications or presentations are related to the interests you've expressed in your application or for jobs to the job itself, it can definitely make sense to include them. Uh, one tip is that you can always add the word selected to the title of the section. So selected publications and presentations, and then just include a few of the most recent and relevant ones. That way there's no need for it to be a comprehensive list. And of course, if it's a co-authored piece, or something that you co-presented, make sure that you indicate that in as part of it. You can just put a little bracket, co-authored, co-presented. I should say it's highly unlikely that the admissions officer is going to take the time to read through the publications that you list. So I really wouldn't worry about including hyperlinks on your resume. It also can look a little odd sometimes in application software. If there's something really critical about the publication that you'd like us to know, for example, if it won a major award, you can you can indicate that as well. And then saving the best for last. What about the interests section? What does this typically include and what are everyone's views? Okay. I love this section. So this is, this and I, section don't. Is... I know this is going to be like a tomato, tomato conversation. I love it. Ben and I have had this conversation. Like I, 10 I have times. very strong views. <laughs> I love it. So, so this section typically includes, um, as you can imagine, a few of your hobbies or other special interests. I know some people might choose not to include it because it might not seem as relevant to the job description, and that's completely fine. Uh, but I do think interviewers, at least in corporate law, do like to see this section as it can be used as a fun icebreaker. And um, in fact, the way that I've come to view it is it's a way that you as a candidate can try to steer the conversation to things that you 
want to talk about. Um, so given the ability for this section to play a role in connecting you with an interviewer and giving you that that sort of chance to, to really um, speak passionately about something you enjoy, I usually advise candidates to select three interests that they would be excited to talk about and that are sufficiently specific but also fairly different and distinct from each other to uh, broaden the chance that those interests will connect with more people. So, uh, for example, mine might be reading psychology and business management books, socially conscious traveling, and learning to cook Vietnamese foods, as opposed to simply reading, traveling, and cooking more generally. Okay, so this actually could have been the game for this episode, I think. So what would <laughs> you have put in your interest? It would have been a much more fun game. <laughs> <laughs> I thought our game was fun. I liked it. Um, I so, had fun. So I'm going to give mine. So if I included an interest section, mine would be playing tennis, making refrigerator pickles, and taking my two dogs, Marbury and Madison, on beach walks. What do you think of those, Van Ann? As the judge of the interest section, do you like them? I do. I, you know, I, specific, again, I, different I think from they're, each other? they're specific, they're different, they're, they're interesting. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I honestly have mixed feelings about the interest section. Um, I know that for certain kinds of jobs and in specific, specifically applying to big law jobs, they're pretty much standard and people do like to see them. On the other hand, um, as an admissions professional who's always trying to reflect on my own biases and try to reduce those biases, I'm afraid that this creates an unnecessary opportunity for you to end up drawn to people who are more like you, who share the same interests, background, et cetera, as you do. So I would be inclined to admit fellow tennis nerds, pickle makers, and dog lovers, for example. But to be more serious about it for a second, these can be indicators of, of class, of other status markers. Uh, and that's something that does concern me if those end up being the thing that connects you um, as part of a job or an application process. Even though as a human being, of course, I love to see them because they can be really fun. All right, Christy, break That's a the lot tie. of good food for thought. Um, so first, I want to report firsthand that Miriam's pickles are fabulous. Thank you, Christy. <laughs> My six-year-old demolished an entire jar of Miriam's pickles over the course of one weekend. Um, I actually went and looked up my resume because you were asking earlier about font. I use Times New Roman. Um, and I'm, <laughs> I'm looking at an old one. I, in my most recent resume, I actually phased out my interest sections just due to space limitations. Um, but I used to have The New Yorker, Distance Running, parentheses, two marathons, 16 half marathons, and experimenting with mac and cheese recipes on there. And you can bet that I've been asked about my favorite mac and cheese recipes in just about every interview I ever had when I utilized that recipe. How have you not made mac and cheese for me yet, Christy? I feel <laughs> like our friendship is just foundering right now. This is terrible. I know. I need to reciprocate for the pickles. Yeah. Um, Although that was, was really an overload of cucumbers from my garden. I was like, desperately handing pickles to everyone I knew. So I, I, I don't think it's quite, we're not quite at that stage yet, but soon. Okay. Soon Noted. they'll make me mac and cheese. <laughs> and, and in terms of the tiebreaker, I really like the interest section um, when it's used well and actually provides fodder for some good conversation. Um, it can, it can be as Vannon described kind of an icebreaker. It is not helpful though. This is just my words of the wise. <laughs> as Vannon said, Put stuff on there that you actually want to talk about. I will say this past year, I interviewed a candidate who had, I'm going to change the exact specifics, but it's akin to this. Um, they had international travel on their resume. And I said, oh, where's um, one place you've really enjoyed traveling? And the candidate was like, oh, huh. 
Uh-oh. Huh. Oh. And I was like, well, oh, no. I mean, it was oh, like, no, heartbreaking. It, it kind of broke my yeah, heart because, you know, it comes oh, from yeah. nerves. It comes from nerves. It right, doesn't come right. from, I'm, I'm sure she's actually interested in international travel. I wasn't concerned she was making it up or anything. That's not but the thing you would make I, up if you're going to make something up. But you know that, per, I, I just know in my heart, she must have prepared for all sorts of questions like, why do you want to go to law school and everything? And maybe just didn't think about the fact that if you put something on your resume, someone might actually ask about it. See, this is my um, fear though, right? Because who has the the privilege to do international travel? That takes a lot of privilege. Right. Yeah. And then if you're in a job interview with people who share that privilege and they're like, oh, where do you like traveling? And you're like, oh, I just recently went to France. They're like, oh my gosh, me too. Like, where do you like to stay in Paris? It just, I get it. I think it can help individuals, but I think on a, as a policy, as a big thing, I don't know that that's good. I think that that can hurt people who don't share the same interests and experiences necessarily as often with the people who are in positions of power and decision making. That's Which is my why pitch. it's so important to yeah no it, it it illustrates your point right. But this is also why it's so important to diversify the, the yes. people and the experiences of people in positions of power exactly. so that someone who has right. like reggaeton on their resume is one of their interests gets like there's a person yeah. in position of power who's like yes Me can't wait to talk right. to this guy exactly exactly okay. We got really deep on the interest section, as I knew we would. All right. I thought we would end our section on resumes by discussing any major resume no-nos. What are some of the things each of you have seen that all of our law school applicants should avoid at all costs? This is a rarity, but I have seen it. It's This is my, one of my absolute pet peeves. When the law school applicant hasn't made an effort to modify or edit a resume that was created for a job. This goes back to the know your audience touchstone. So if you include things like references available on requests or your salary requirements or a section on the top, like a little executive summary that's clearly pitched to a particular job, it's just, it's not a good look. It's sloppy. Yeah. Uh, and I would say also not a good practice for most of the legal jobs you'll be looking for either, um, including those um, those specific items. Um, you know, we've said this before, every industry has its own resume standards. So what is typical and expected in the legal profession uh, is often different than what's common in other industries. So you really want to get a good sense as to what is standard and typical within the legal profession or you know, whatever industry you decide that you want to, um, uh, you want to be in. Uh, in the same vein, um, you know, I sometimes see students include an, um, I guess what we would call an objective section, which I think probably comes from some standard word template and might be common in some other industries uh, when applying to law school or a legal employer. However, we all know what your objective is. You want to get into that law school or secure a job. So there's no need to include an objective. As you become more senior in your career, you might consider including what um, what we call a summary section, which would serve as an executive summary of sorts of you as a professional. Uh, but as many of you are likely much earlier in your career or at least early in your legal career, that's also probably not necessary at this point either. Okay, so my pet peeve is when applicants include a photo. Again, that's pretty rare, but it definitely happens. And I get the impression that in certain countries that may be common practice, but it is frankly a little inappropriate and not at all common practice in the United States for law school applications. So just keep those photos out of your resume. Oh, I'm right there with you. I am not a casting director yeah. and I do not need your headshot. You are taking up valuable real estate with that photograph. As a side note, bringing us, this is going to circle back to the intersection. I have seen people do multiple 
graphics or photographs for their interests. Like Like um, a picture of a pickle? What was one I saw this past year? (laughs) Yeah. Um, Oh, yeah, yeah. Like purple pink sunsets and then there's a picture of a purple pink sunset. Oh my god, a picture cats, of Marbury and cats that turn them. <gasps> I would get I have, every I have job. Seen... They're the cutest dogs. We, I've seen at least two resumes in the past year that had a photograph of the applicant with their dog. Did, did you admit them? Because clearly you should have. No, I was... Their dogs no. weren't that cute. That's the problem. Not as cute <laughs> as Marbury and Madison. Let's just say there were other problems. <laughs> <laughs> Lack of judgment, people. Lack of judgment. Okay, wow. So we had a lot more to say about resumes than I thought. I'm a little surprised, but maybe not totally surprised. So let's talk a little bit now about how law school applicants and law students can think about their careers. And I thought we could keep this very simple and each just give a few of our best career-related pieces of advice. I am going to go first. So one thing I always used to tell my students is to focus on three different domains when they're thinking about the kind of job or career they might like. First, the subject area that they're interested in, things like immigration law, criminal law, corporate, children's issues. Second, the types of skills they like to deploy, research and writing, working with clients, managing large projects, policy development. And finally, the types of employers they enjoy working for. Do they like big employers or small ones, for-profit or non-profit? So if you're interested in criminal law, but you like large employers and want to do a lot of research and writing, maybe the appellate unit of a public defender's office is a great long-term goal. If you like criminal law, but you want to be at a smaller organization and and work directly with clients, maybe you want to try and find a small direct services organization that represents indigent defendants. I find that students often focus on subject matter alone without thinking that much about the skill set or the employer. And all three of those matter a lot in terms of long-term career success and happiness. That is great advice for law students and for aspiring law students as well. Um, Some people actually say that the type of legal practice setting is more important to your sense of career satisfaction than the actual subject matter. I think that can be true. Yeah. Um, All right. Here's my first piece of advice. If you think you want to be a lawyer, seek out opportunities in any any setting. It could be scooping ice cream. I'm serious to work for really busy people. Time is the coin of the realm for legal professionals, and you will inevitably work for someone who has very little of it. Figure out how to present your ideas to someone who has just a few precious moments to hear them. I love that. Yeah, that's really good advice, Christy. Okay, so my favorite piece of career advice, especially for those early in your career, although this could probably be applicable to anyone across any industry, actually comes from two professors at Stanford in their book, um, Designing Your Life. Um, so it, it's a book by, by Bill Burnett and Dave Evans. They're both professors at Stanford. Um, and, and the book is all about how you can design your life to create greater purpose and meaning. Uh, we all have more control over this process than we think. Um, they suggest mapping out three alternative plans for the next five years of your life. The first one being the track that you are currently on, if all goes according to plan. The second one being what you would do if the first plan doesn't happen for some reason. And the third one being the wild card plan. What you would do if the sky was a limit and time and money were not an issue. From there, you can prototype your plans to see what in your plans do you actually enjoy or not enjoy. So for example, by taking on internships, conducting informational interviews, speaking with mentors, et cetera, um, and then ideate or tweak your plans based on the information that you've gathered. 
the idea behind this process is that you don't have to have a single five-year plan and that there are many ways, in fact, to achieve a fulfilling life. And by testing out your ideas and building that skill of seeing new opportunities and successfully pivoting when you receive new information, you'll be able to come closer and closer to building um, what uh, will be a happier and meaningful life for you. I really like that. And it's actually a little bit related, I think, to what will be my second and final piece of career advice. And this is to really remember that careers are long and it's totally okay to change your mind about what you're interested in, or frankly, not to be totally sure what you're interested in at the early stage of your law school or legal career, or even at the middle or later stage of your law school or legal career. We definitely understand that some applicants are interested in law generally. We also know that some people who are sure they are interested in one thing will end up switching to something else. Who would have predicted, Christy, that we would end up in admissions? And both of us really love it. So make sure you keep an open mind. And for every single job, clinic, internship, and experience that you have, take some time to think about what you enjoyed and what you didn't enjoy. Seek out more of what you liked and try to limit what you didn't. That's the way to hone in on happiness in the long term. Yeah, that reflection loop is really key. It's really key. Um, so my second piece of advice is a bit more personal in nature. If you choose to go through life with a partner, choose your partner wisely. This may seem unrelated to your career, but it's your partner's support for your career and willingness to accommodate and work with you on your career choices and vice versa that will have, in my opinion, perhaps the biggest impact on your career trajectory and your life. Having heard both Christy and Van Ann speak about their partners, I know, and having <laughs> my own very supportive partner, I truly know how critical this is. And I feel like all three of us are incredibly lucky and we're also wise mm -hmm. in our choice of partners. So shout out to Mario, Pete, and Brian. You better be listening or you're going to be in trouble at home, guys. <laughs> I was going to say, Christy, I completely agree with that point as well. Um, it has, um, you know, so my choice and partner has just um, made a miraculous, a miraculous difference in my life and in my career. And we talk about that. I talk about this all the time. I, I look at what I've been able to accomplish in the past uh, seven years, I guess, since we've been together. Um, and it is far and wide much more significant than what I was able to do in the 20 or so, 25 or so years um, prior to that. So. Um, my second piece of advice, and one that I didn't appreciate until much later in my career, is to find yourself one or multiple sponsors. So people who will champion you and your work within your organization and advocate for you even behind closed doors. So that's the difference between a sponsor um, and a mentor who you might just go to for uh, for advice. Um there's a woman, Carla Harris, who is one of the top women in finance. Um, I have so much respect for her. She has said that uh, you can survive a very long time in your career without a mentor, but you will not move upward in any organization without a sponsor. The vast majority of decisions made about your career will be made without you in the room. And you want to make sure that you have as many people in those rooms as possible who will advocate for you and raise you up. 
All right. Now that you've mentioned amazing women, I can't help adding one more. And this one is not mine. It's from an amazing woman named Kim Harris, who's uh, the general counsel of NBC Universal. She also happens to be um, a YLS alum, but I, I worked with her at a law firm. So I know her from there as well. She told our admitted students to think about work-life balance in a way totally different than I'd ever heard anyone speak about, and it stuck with me personally so strongly since that moment. She said to think about it as something that can really vary across your career, not on a specific day or week. So you may have a time in your life where you really need to start driving hard and focusing your attention on work. Maybe you're trying to get a big promotion, you just started a big new job, and that's when you focus in on work. There may be other times where your personal life really has to take the forefront. Your family needs you, you need a break, and you have to pull back. But you need to find the right balance between your work and your life, and that changes at different points in your life. And, and that just was a totally novel way of thinking about it. And in looking back, I've realized how true that's been in my own career. And it really made me feel differently about some of the choices that I'd made. I feel like I'm going to sit with that for a little while. It stuck with me. She said it at an admitted student's event, Christy, and it just, it stuck with me ever since. And I want so many people to hear it because it really, it changed the way I think about careers. It really did. I think that wraps us up. Thank you for joining us, Van Ann. What final thoughts or words of wisdom do you have for our listeners? Oh, you know, if there's one thing I hope our listeners take away from this conversation, it's that while there are certainly going to be some things in life that are beyond your control, there is so much that is still within your control, whether it be how you choose to draft a resume, how you choose to frame your interview responses, and even what professional opportunities you choose to or choose not to pursue. Uh, and remember that nothing has to be permanent. Uh, you should remember to give yourself grace and permission to change your mind and flow with the seasons as you continue to grow and evolve as a person and professional. Thank you so much, Christy and Miriam, for having me. And um, I wish all of your listeners the very best. So I just want to say thank you so much, Vinan. I feel so lucky to have you as a colleague and as a friend. Um, and I'm so glad you were able to join us for this podcast episode. Listeners, thank you for tuning in to Navigating Law School Admissions with Miriam and Christy. Our next episode is coming in two weeks. Until then, good luck with your applications and please use consistent N dashes or hyphens in those year ranges on your resumes. This podcast is produced by Ryan McAvoy from the Yale Broadcast Studio.